Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, with my man, Jason Spears. Before we get into the Week 11 recap, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, Google Play, all your favorite podcasting platforms. Hit the like button, leave a comment, and turn on the notification bell so you get a notification every time we drop a podcast. Bro, where do we start with this game? The Colts trail 28-14 at half, outscore the Packers 20-3 in the second half and overtime with 17 unanswered points and only one touchdown scored while scoring 17 unanswered points. We outscored them 20-3 in the second half and overtime with only scoring one touchdown, the two-point conversion, and Blankenship nailing three field goals, including the game-winning walk-off field goal in overtime after missing a 50-yard field goal in the first half. We forced four turnovers against a Packer team that only turned the ball over five times the entire season coming into the game through their first nine games holding Aaron Rodgers to three points in the second half after he dropped 28 points in the first half, and Julian Blackman getting the game-winning strip in overtime. And we should have known it because Julian Blackman had the hoop earring in, like Michael Jordan. You might as well turn the 3-2 to a 2-3, and I love Kenny Moore, so Kenny Moore gets to keep his number. But that was a Michael Jordan-esque game-winning play by the rookie out of Utah in overtime, and the rookie showed out. In this game, you had Blackman balling with the hoop earring, getting the strip in overtime, DeForest Buckner with the big-time recovery. You had the rookie Blankenship hitting the walk-off field goal, game winner, 34-31. You had Michael Pittman Jr., 45 yards to the house. You had Jonathan Taylor, 114 yards from the line of scrimmage, playing his best football of the season. The 2020 draft class showed up today. From 2018 to 2019 to 2020, Chris Ballard, this guy, he might just know what he's doing. And his offseason additions, they had a huge game today. Down the line, offense, defense, special teams, couldn't be happier with the roster Chris Ballard has assembled. We have some issues with the backup tackle situation. We're going to address it as we talked about all offseason long. But what a win, man. Jason, what a win against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Arguably the best team in the NFC. They came into this game at 7-2. The Colts now improved to 7-3 with a 34-31 win over the Green Bay Packers. It was an interesting game, to say the least, man. Uh, it was frustrating. It was maddening at times. It was exciting. It was, I mean, it was everything you could possibly want in a football game. There were turnovers, momentum sw- uh, changes yeah. at the drop of a dime. I mean, overtime, just, just you know, turnovers and, 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 you know, driving down the field with no t- hardly any time left. I mean, it was a... It was a flawed football game, but a great football game in the sense that you saw everything in it. And also that the Colts won. That's the most important thing. And the, the best thing I can say about this this game and really this season is I love what I see from this team as a whole. The offense picks up the defense. The defense picks up the offense. The special teams pick up both. The one bad game our special teams had in Detroit the offense picked them up, the defense picked them up. It, it's just a great – it's not a – I wouldn't say we have a great team, but they play well together. They fight for each other. They, it's a great locker room. Ballard's done a tremendous job of building 
a great locker room. And these guys fight for one another, man. They don't quit. You see, I mean, the way they fight for for 60-plus minutes, it's inspiring as a fan to watch. You know, I really don't ever feel like when we're behind, we're definitely going to lose because I just feel like this team will scratch and claw and find a way, whether it's against a bad team or a good good team. It almost doesn't matter. They they figure things out. I mean, Flus, halftime adjustments, I don't think there's anybody better in, in, in the game. You know, Phillip Rivers was unbelievable today. Just a spectacular game from him. Some of those throws, I mean, the T.Y. Hilton throw, the throw over the middle to, I think it was Burton or, or Pascal, one of the two. He was elite today, man. I, I mean, that was so, uh, some game to watch. And, and watching him and Aaron Rodgers go at it as a fan was fun. But at the end of the day, as Colts fans, we wanted that win, and we got it, and that's all that mattered. Jason, I have three stats for you, and I want you to pick your favorite out of the three. Stat number one, the Green Bay Packers only had five turnovers on the season through the first nine games coming into today, and we forced four turnovers in this game alone. Stat number two, the Green Bay Packers are 0-5 lifetime in Indianapolis. They have never won in our 35-plus year history in Indianapolis. And stat number three, which is my personal favorite, or at least the one that blows my mind, Aaron Rodgers is 1-2 against the Indianapolis Colts when leading by 14 points or more, and he's 95-2 when leading all other teams in the NFL combined by 14 points or more. The Andrew Luck comeback in 2012, the Phillip Rivers comeback today in 2020 95 and two versus the other 30 teams one and two against the indianapolis colts man i can always count on you to to pull out these great stats i love the last one and the middle one is great because we were undefeated in indy against them but in all honesty the first stat the the four turnovers and when they've only had what five the rest of the season that's what won us this game clearly so I got to go with stat one, even though the other two stats are pretty damn impressive. That first stat, that's the key to the game, brother. That's why we won the game. That so is, I got to go with Even that. though we didn't score, we scored zero points on those first two turnovers that's we true. forced. We kicked the field goal on the third, but we kicked the game-winning walk-off field goal on the Julian Blackman. Oh, another stat for you, Jason. How about this one? Julian Blackman has forced three turnovers this season. All three turnovers have come in the fourth quarter and overtime. Yeah, I love that stat. And, you know, he's got that Darius Leonard gene, man. When the, yep. when the game is on the line and there's plays to be made, 32 is going to make them. And it's amazing to me how fast he's gotten that T.J. Green stink off that number, man. It's unbelievable. He's such a playmaker, just an absolute stud back there. I mean, the difference he's made in this defense can't be understated or it can't be overstated. I mean, it's just – He's such a, a talented kid. He's coming off that injury, and, he, and he's only going to get better. The crazy thing is, Luke, Julian Blackman is only touching the surface of oh, what yeah. he's going to be. I mean, he's going to be more healthy next year. He's going to have a year in the defense. He, he's going to—I mean, this kid is going to be special. And we are—we are loaded with young talent all over our defense. So he was outstanding today. He always comes up big when we need him. Much like Darius Leonard, who I thought was awful in the first half, played much better in the second half. So just an absolute huge win. It's just such a character-building win. 
with, with all the adversity that had to be overcome by everybody. I mean, you look at Blankenship, misses the early field goal. He overcomes that and goes, you know, perfection the rest of the game. Yep. 28 points given up by the defense in the first half. Something, you know, a lot of that due to offense turnovers. But still 28 points nonetheless, three the rest of the game. And then the offense, you know, not turning turnovers into points, zero, with the two that we got from our defense. But they pick it up down the stretch and outscores them 20-3 to three, uh, down the stretch of the game to win it. So everybody had a big hand in this game. A lot of adversity fought through. I think this is great for the team, for the morale of the team. And, I mean, it's just I'm so excited because everybody said, oh, this is the gauntlet. People were talking about us going 0-4 and all this other stuff. Well, the worst we can go now is 2-2. Two and two. And I'm not giving you that. I'm not giving you that second loss. You're gonna have to come get that loss. So oh, yeah. you have to come take that from us. So uh, you know, I'm pumped up. I, I really thought this is a great litmus test for where we're at because I like the Packers team. I think you know they have an elite offense and and just a lot of talent. Man, they had all their talent and they had it all back. Kevin King was back. Lazard was back. Scantling was in there. Uh, Adams was back. They had everybody back. Yep. So we played the best version of the Packer team. And everything didn't go our way. And there was a ton of adversity. But, Luke, man, the thing I love, we found a way to win against arguably the best team in the NFC. And, bro, you said, I want the test. The test was the first thing out of your mouth when we did the game preview on Thursday. You wanted the test. We got the test. We passed the test. We didn't ace the test. Obviously, we got a couple questions wrong. The defense struggled in the first half. We weren't cashing in on turnovers in the first half. We missed a field goal. So, And we had a billion penalties down the stretch. We'll talk about the officials. But at the same time, there were plenty of holding calls that were justified. They were holds. And we had a bunch of undisciplined, self-inflicting errors in this game, without a doubt. But at the end of the day, the pass and fail grade is the W, and we got the W in this game with the Packers at as close to full health as they've been all season. And it feels so good to get it under our belt because, Jason, I keep hearing that the Colts don't beat good teams, that the Colts' defense has been playing great, but they haven't done it against the top quarterback. Do you think we could put that to bed after this game? I think so. I think I mean, we listen, could. I think because the last time I checked, Aaron Rodgers is a pretty damn good quarterback. And, and listen, he had plenty of chances to win this game, and he did, our defense came up big. That's the way I look at it. You can put all that crap behind this defense. They can play against any quarterback, whether it be Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Ryan Tannehill, whoever you want to throw out there. These Those last three quarterbacks, especially Tannehill and Rodgers, have been playing really well this year. So there's no there, – I mean, you know, Mahomes is Mahomes and Wilson is Wilson. Those guys are all great. But I like our defense against anybody. I really do. I think, you know, when we execute like we're supposed to, and we really didn't execute, you know, the way we were supposed to in the first half and, and flew some short, you know, made that clear at halftime. But when we do what we're supposed to do, this is a great defense, man. It really is fun to watch. We fly around and hit guys. Fumbles happen. Those fumbles weren't just they, – they don't just, you know, magically happen. People are hitting out there. And that comes straight from our defensive coordinator. He wants speed. He wants contact. He wants guys that tackle. And I saw that in the second half, and, it, and I saw—I really saw it the whole game, honestly. But in the second half and in overtime, they were just much more technically sound and were on their cues. And uh, just an unbelievable job by this team. I, I'm, I'm so happy for, for the players, for everybody to come back and win this game. And for us, man, I mean, we, and I said this on the preview, I didn't want them, I didn't want the Packers coming in 
with without Adams and without Lazard and without King. I, I wanted them at their best. I wanted the test. This is the test against an Aaron Rodgers-led offense. They had all their offensive line. I think a guy left during the game, but other than that, they had all the receivers. They had their backs. They had everybody. They had their defense. Everybody played. And it was it was a great game, man. We came out. We made one more play than them. We came out on top. And listen, I don't feel too bad for the Packers because they're going to walk away with that division. There's nobody coming close to them. We still got a little ways to go to win ours. So they're, they're not in too bad a shape, man. They'll be fine. Nah. And Jason, I tweeted this out after the game. I call this game the Ballard 2020 offseason game because we saw Michael Pittman Jr.'s first NFL touchdown. We saw Jonathan Taylor have 114 yards from scrimmage, and I thought running the football, it was his best game as a pro. I know he went over 100 yards his second game, his first start in week two. Today was the best he's ever run the football. Rivers balled out. We're going to get to Rivers and how brilliant he was in this game. Julian Blackman forces the game-winning fumble in overtime. DeForest Buckner recovers the game-winning fumble in overtime. Blankenship nails the game-winning field goal. And I think Trey Burton also had a touchdown in there. So this was the Ballard offseason. Like everything he did in the 2020 offseason, a guy made a play in this game. And I'm not sure who forced the turnover, who forced the fumble on the kickoff, but that might have been Jordan Glass. Was that Glasgow? Because no, it- no, you know who it was. You know, who was it was it? a guy we signed like two weeks ago, a, a guy named Cassius Marsh, wow. who's a defensive end. Well, well um, welcome to the team, Cassius Marsh. From what I've read about him, I haven't seen him play a lot, but he's got some experience. And uh, I know one thing: he plays extremely hard, and and you saw that on special teams. He made that that great play. So. Yeah, man, everybody contributed to this win, and Ballard, almost everything he does turns up roses. The one glaring thing that I hate to bring up, but we bitched about it all offseason. We need a legit backup tackle, and Mm -hmm. we saw that very clearly in this football game. And I promise Chris Ballard is going to address the backup tackle situation in both free agency and the draft. I think he might bring in a veteran, and he will go out and draft a left tackle of the future in the first two rounds to back up Anthony Costanzo to develop and then to eventually take over as the starting left tackle because Anthony Costanzo this past offseason contemplated retirement. He ends up signing the two-year deal, and he will be back at least under contract in 2021. So if he plays out this contract and retires after the 2021 season, it'd be nice to have a backup tackle already in the program developing, kind of like Jacob Eason right now, developing for a year behind AC, so then he could start in 2022 with a little bit of NFL experience under his belt from at least the practices, or if, God forbid, in a situation like this, he needs to play for Braden Smith or Costanzo for a game or two next year, he could have that experience. That way, you're not drafting in 2022 a rookie tackle and immediately plugging and playing him and starting him right off the bat. It'd be nice to develop one, and we obviously need depth at the tackle spots. So I think Ballard is going to address it heavily next year. I think he's going to sign a vet that is more capable than Clark or Green, and then I think he's also going to draft a tackle to begin developing for the future post-Anthony Costanzo. So there's no doubt in my mind that Clark and Green will be gone after this season, and Ballard will put a major emphasis on the backup tackle spots. No doubt in my mind. Now, getting into the offense. Phillip Rivers in this game, 
fantastic. I thought it was his best game of the year. He made a couple of throws. The touchdown to Burton. That throw to T.Y. on the sideline. Crossbody on the sideline. Dropped it in the bread basket. That was an elite throw. Only a handful of guys have that type of touch. Incredible throw. The touchdown to Burton. There was a little dart he threw over the middle to Burton. He was in his bag today. Phillip Rivers looked fantastic. He's playing the best football he's played, not only since arriving in Indianapolis, but going back to last year, he never played at this level. So this is the best he's played since 2018. He was a pro bowler. The Chargers won 12 games. They ran into 50 touchdown pass rookie Patrick Mahomes that year, or second year Mahomes, first year starter, so they didn't win the division, but they won 12 games, they went to the playoffs, they beat the Ravens in Baltimore in the playoffs. Phillip Rivers, and we were telling people this this past offseason, he's only one year removed from playing at that level. And you look at this game, he played fantastic in this game, the best game he's had all year. 24 of 36, 288 yards, three touchdowns, tip ball, interception, and now you look at the last Five games for Phillip Rivers. Ten touchdown passes, just three interceptions. The first five games, he had four touchdown passes to five interceptions. So the touchdowns have gone up. The interceptions have gone down. Hasn't lost a fumble on the year. Has one fumble. The Colts recovered it. Hasn't lost a fumble on the year. So he only has three turnovers the last five games to go along with 10 touchdown passes. The Colts in those five games have scored 30-plus in four out of the five. They've also won four out of the five, the four games, where they put up 30-plus points. The only game they didn't was against Baltimore. We obviously went on to lose that game. But Phillip Rivers is playing great football. He made a couple throws in this game that I wasn't even sure he was still able to make, and he made them. And I've defended Rivers a lot this year, even when he wasn't playing his best the first five games, because he was a rental and because I always saw all along, even when he wasn't playing great in the beginning of the year, that he was an upgrade over Jacoby because he got the ball out of his hands quick. He was able to read the defense. He was able to pick apart the middle of the field. He was able to process quick. He was able to get the ball out of his hands quick. He was able to hit the checkdowns, avoid sacks by keeping the rhythm of the offense and getting the ball out of his hands. And I believe that from day one. I believe that in March when we signed him, I never abandoned that belief. But I did feel at times that I was defending a quarterback who was an average quarterback. And I told people, he's not great. He's not terrible. He's average. And when you have an elite defense, average could be good enough to get by. But now as the weeks go on, Jason, Phillip Rivers is getting better and better and better, he's getting more comfortable, and look out, because this defense, with Phillip Rivers starting to play at the level he's playing at over the last five games, this Colts team is dangerous now that we have a quarterback that could really stretch the field, throw it downfield, we're starting to see those big chunk plays, the 45-yard touchdown pass to Michael Pittman, who has been great after the catch the last few weeks, and the run game is starting to come alive, And, man, I'm getting pumped about this team watching Rivers play at the level he's playing at. Yeah, and listen, I don't want to sound like someone making excuses, but that's probably what this is going to sound like to people. But I don't really care. The first five games, we're we're talking about a completely different NFL season than we've ever seen, that I've ever seen. With the pandemic, with all the stuff that went on, there wasn't a lot of on-the-field stuff. There was only 11 padded practices. So with Phil, I, I wanted to give him some benefit of the doubt the first few weeks 
Because he doesn't, I mean, yes, he knows the offense. But it's one thing to know the offense, but it's another thing to execute it with guys you've never played with. So I thought the first five games, he, he struggled. And, and, and I'm not going to argue that. He did. He struggled. He made some bad decisions. Maybe some of those were his fault. Some of those were the receivers running the wrong route. It doesn't matter. They were interceptions. He didn't play as well as he needed to play. But what you're seeing now is a guy that's developing a rapport with receivers, not just with T.Y. or, 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 guy, or tight ends, uh, like, you know, Doyle or, or Moali or those. I mean, Pittman is the guy. You can see it coming with Pittman. Pittman and, and Rivers have started to form that connection, and it's, it's just fun to watch. He, he, he moves the ball around. Outside of the Ravens game, I think the last four games, he's been, he's been outstanding. And today was the best of all that I saw because you really had a situation where you don't have your right tackle, so and, and you didn't have a re- the running game wasn't really working early, so it's kind of on him to make plays. And I, and they ran that crossing route with with Pittman, and Pittman can run, man. He got I mean he gets out in space, and people think he can't run. He can run, and he took that to the house. And Luke, you called that. I I called. Oh, yeah. I said he would be the X factor in this game. You said that he would be the prop bet guy. I think we were both right. I mean, I think so. The dude is an X factor, and and as far as people hating on Philip Rivers, I think a lot of it is re- residual stuff from you know the fact he's a Colt and people always hated him as a Charger. Yeah. But I'm over that man. He's ours. He's rolling with us now, and he's a Colt. And I love his competitive spirit. I love watching this guy play. You can tell he cares. You can tell he's a selfless guy. He doesn't mind coming out for packages for Jacoby. He just wants to win. He's 38. He doesn't have much time left. He's just trying to win every game he can to get as far as he can and try to get to that Lombardi. And and I can't hate on him for that. And listen, what we saw today with the, 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 the ball placement, the ability to climb the pocket, the way he processes so quickly is so above and beyond anything we've had here since Luck. And he might even be better than Luck at processing the field. He's so good at it. And he, he's, we're rarely in bad plays with him. There's a lot of positives people don't talk about with this guy because he's got so many physical limitations that are so outwardly obvious that, you know, he, can, he really can't move. Yeah. But his brain is like a computer. He, he, if he sees something twice, if he doesn't, you know, he doesn't take advantage of it the first time, he will absolutely take advantage of it the second time. So you can never really do the same thing twice with, with Phil. And the more I watch him, man, I think we can go places with this guy because I really think he's starting to feel it. He's starting to get into a rhythm. He's starting to understand what the, you know, the coaches want out of him, how they want to run this offense. And now we're starting to see Taylor come on and different backs doing their thing. It's just, if we can get this offense to score between anything close to 30 points a game, you don't want to see us. That's all I'm going to say because – it took Aaron Rodgers what? He barely got thirty points on the defense, and then they dropped they dropped forty like it's nothing on everybody else. So yep. it, it just an outstanding. I mean, I'm talking mostly about Phil, but I just feel like the guy catches so much crap from from our fan base. And I'm not saying he's elite. Luke's right. He's probably a middle of the pack guy at this point, but he still has a lot of those middle of the pack guys don't have elite games in in them. Philip yep. Rivers. Still has elite elite games in him, and we saw that today. Yeah, and something I really don't understand, Jason, and I haven't understood all year, is the Colt fans who hate Phillip Rivers just because they hated him when he was with the Chargers. 
Nobody hated Philip Rivers on the Chargers more than me. I couldn't stand Philip Rivers on the Chargers. But now he's my quarterback. Now he's leading us to a 7-3 and record, hopefully to an AFC South title, hopefully to an AFC championship, a Super Bowl. I mean, that's the goal. And he's playing great football. His last five games have been phenomenal. Yesterday, he played like an elite quarterback. He had an elite performance. He himself is not an elite quarterback at this point in his career, but he turned out an elite performance yesterday, period. When you look at the numbers, when you look at some of the throws he was able to execute and come back from a 14-point deficit, Philip Rivers was fantastic yesterday. I don't understand. There's Cole fans that I feel like wait at their keyboard for Philip Rivers to make a mistake, for him to turn it over, for him to get flushed out of the pocket and look like a unathletic 40-year-old guy, because that's essentially what he is when he's going east to west, throwing the ball away, and they're just waiting for him to mess up so they can criticize him on Twitter. I don't get it, and there's a lot of them, and I hated Philip Rivers. I hated Philip Rivers more than I hated Tom Brady when Philip Rivers was on the Chargers. That's how much I hated Rivers. But Times have changed. He's my quarterback, and I love what you just said about his selflessness. That went totally under the radar. He comes out. He goes down. He's driving. We have a huge third and two, fourth and one. We take him out of the game. He doesn't complain because this guy wants to win. He's a team-first guy. He wants to win. So I don't think he gets enough credit, and I don't think Jacoby gets enough credit because, yeah, Jacoby's making a lot of money to be the backup, but he was a captain last year. He was the starting quarterback, and Jacoby's not complaining. You put Jacoby in for fourth and one. Could you have tried harder to push forward and pick up five yards? He knew he was coming out of the game. But that's a team first guy. That's a leader. That's a guy who wants to win. And I could never hate on a guy that wants to win. And I love this quarterback room right now because Phillip Rivers is balling out. You have Jacoby coming in, picking up first downs on fourth and one, short yardage situations, doing his job. And then you have Jacob Eason developing on the 53-man roster. The quarterback room right now for 2020 is working to a T. You paid Philip Rivers to come in and be an upgrade. He's clearly an upgrade. You keep Jacoby on the roster to be a leader, to be a locker room guy, and to eventually implement these short yardage packages. And he's executing them to a T. And then you have the fourth-round pick, who you hope is a great value, because I think if he went back to Washington, he could have been a first-round pick in the 2021 draft, and you have him developing behind a Hall of Famer and a really solid pros-pros, good leader, good locker room guy. So if there was any character issues, questions about Eason in college, which a lot of them have been disputed, you have two pros-pros and a head coach who was a quarterback in this league for a number of years to learn from and develop under. So I love the way this quarterback room has come together. We've paid a lot of money for this room to come together, but they have us right now. Philip Rivers has us at 7-3 and three in control of the AFC South if we beat and sweep the Titans next week. And then what about Jonathan Taylor? Jonathan Taylor yesterday had his best game as a Colt. It was his best game in the NFL. I know he went over 100 yards in week two, but we saw patience. We saw him hitting holes. We saw him cutting back yesterday. He only had 90 yards, so it wasn't his career high, but he got better as the game went on. He was patient. He hit the hole. 
He broke tackles. He carried tacklers to first down markers. Jonathan Taylor yesterday had his best game as a pro. So you have Phillip Rivers playing the best football he's played all year. Now you have Jonathan Taylor running the way he's running. You have Michael Pittman coming into his own, looking like the real deal with the 34th overall pick. And I'm just feeling really, really good about this offense. What about the rookie out of Wisconsin, Jonathan Taylor, yesterday running the way he ran in the second half? Yeah, this is this is definitely his best best game by far that I've seen him play. And I'll be honest, I'm gonna eat this L. I tweeted out early in the game when he wasn't doing very well. I said Jonathan Taylor is the third best running back on our roster. And from that moment on, Jonathan Taylor <laughs> ripped through that defense like it Jonathan was. Jonathan Taylor was sitting on the bench. He opened his phone. <laughs> He went to Twitter. He looked up at ForTheCulture underscore J because he knows that ForTheCulture would never tweet anything like this. And he said, uh, what? What? I'm the dude. third running back on this roster? Dude. So he said, you know what? I'm going to have myself a day. And he did, and he shut me up. And listen, I, I, I try not to be too hot with the takes during the game. I just get way emotional. I probably shouldn't even tweet during the games because I'm <laughs> so passionate. Nobody should tweet during the but games. Myself but included. Honestly, I have to give him a ton of credit. There was a play in that game where I was like, specifically, the light is coming on. And I think it was in the third or fourth quarter where he ran to the left. He waited a tick and then cut it back right to a hole that was wide open and get, I think he gained 20 yards. And I said, that's what we need to see. Like, I feel like he's been in the film room with Marlon Mack. Like, he, he ran it, and there was a lot, you know, there's a lot of trash there. So he waited a tick and cut backside and got 20 yards. When he's, if he starts doing that and starts doing that consistently, then we've got ourselves something on our hands that's, you know, going to be really, really good. Because he, you know, I saw that in this game. The later the game went, the better he played. So I, I'm eating the L on that. I, I said he was the, the third best running back. Today he was by far the best running back on our roster. He played outstanding. Just an absolute great game from him. And like you said, man, his best game. He he was – I think he averaged – what was his per carry today? It was definitely over four. Yeah, it was um, 4.1, but it felt lower than what it should have been. And he also well, had yeah, – It was the early part. It was the early it part. It was the early he, part. And he also had a bunch of stuff later in the game. Like, I'm not even talking about the touchdown that came off the board because he probably doesn't get oh, through yeah. that if Pascal doesn't hold. But there was other plays where he picked up 9, 10 yards and it got taken away yeah. because of a hold, yeah. a hold that had nothing to do with the play. So his day was even better, in my opinion, than the statistics show because of all yeah. the holding penalties and everything that got taken off the board. But I think there's some really good tape on him from today. And Wilkins had a good day running the ball, too. Wilkins had four carries for 21 yards, so he was over five yards per carry. So I thought Wilkins ran the ball well. Taylor ran the ball well. Naheem Hines wasn't really used in the run game, but he did his he thing. Slot, Put him in the slot. Yeah. They put him in the slot. Should have had a touchdown. To... That was the worst holding call of the day. That was the one that I really disagreed with was right. the touchdown to Hines. But that was really also the only holding call that didn't hurt us because we came right back the next play and we scored a touchdown anyway. Every other holding call yeah. like derailed us and like set us back a thousand yards. But that one offsetting penalties and we scored the next play. 
And Hines had one of the biggest plays of the game on that fourth down. I mean, when we were kind of in no man's land, it would have been a 53-yard field goal. Or you, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not punting there. Uh, it was four. I think it was fourth and four, and they ran that end route. And he was covered by one of the best co- cover corners in the league, Jair Alexander. And I mean, he just he, he worked that route, man. Got inside of him, got across his face, made a Huge. great play. And that, I mean, nobody's talking about that play. But if he doesn't get that, we lose the game. Yeah. Also, what so, about that one punt he fielded around the 45-yard line? Fox gave us a weird work. camera angle. I mean, on top yeah, of all the penalties and all the all the things I had heart attacks over in this game, and there were a lot, they changed the camera angle. And I know it doesn't actually matter, but I feel like when camera angles are that obscure, I'm just more prone to seeing something catastrophic happen. I know it doesn't work like that. That's just the way I feel. The sound went out. So Fox didn't have any sound, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing because we didn't have to listen to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman for a few seconds. But the sound goes out. The camera angle is like in the dirt in the end zone. I was like we were watching from like an end zone angle 100 feet away from Hines. And it looked like he like went over his shoulder and caught the punt off the bounce and that would have been if that ball ricocheted off him and the Packers got a scoop and score or even if Rodgers took over after a three and out on his own or on the Colts 40 yard line the game would have been over the game if our defense had to come back on the field the game would have been over I don't know how he fielded that and that was huge and that was in our comeback I think we were down 28-17 at that point and then we go down we score a touchdown we get two point conversion so that was a big you know what it reminds you know what it reminded me of, Luke? It reminded me reminded me of my old baseball days when you when you're playing in the infield and somebody yeah. hits the ball and, and you think it's it's not hit as hard as you think, and then it takes one of those quick hops. That's what that punt looked like to me. It looked like it was it's just going to be a regular bounce, and it looked like it caught Hines by surprise how fast it came at him. Yep. But it might have just been the cam- I mean the camera angle was bad. I, I it was behind him, so I couldn't well, really exactly. tell. Exactly. That's, that's why I'm not like. sure. Like I'm not sure if it was really as scary as it was because even if it doesn't touch him we still could have lost 30 yards on that we could have retained possession but if we lost 30 yards or 20 yards if that took a huge green bay bounce we might not score a touchdown on that drive and if we don't score on that drive obviously every point we scored was huge because the game went to overtime so we needed everything we got in regulation including that two-point conversion including everything we got to get to overtime to eventually go on to win the game in overtime, but yeah, that was scary. And it's funny you bring that up about baseball because I was thinking the same thing when you kind of slide in and the ball takes that hop and you kind of catch it over your rib cage and you do that turn as you get up and you fire it over to first. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's funny you bring that up. Yeah, you know, and just to get to kind of put a bow on the running backs, I really thought they were all really solid today. I mean, every one of them did a great job at what they were supposed to do. And that's what the key to winning is, man. Everybody just doing their job, taking care of their job. And, uh, you know, help. It just, it, it, as long as you do that, you're going to, especially with the talent we have, you're going to have a good chance to win. And I thought today the, uh, the core of our running back group, while not sexy on the stat sheet per se, I thought did an outstanding job. Yep. The only real issue with the offense I had, and we'll get to the end of the game. We'll do that all in one big sequence afterwards. But you had the Moale Cox fumble. You had the Rivers tip ball interception. So we had two 
turnovers in the first half, but zero in the second half. And then the Packers, we forced a turnover in the second half. And then we had multiple three and outs for Rodgers. And then, of course, the fumble in overtime. So the really only negative, like that main negative besides clock management and other things at the end of the game was the – and the play calling with Reich I was up and down with. We still scored 34 points, so I can't be too mad. There's certain possessions, but that's every game. I mean, Andy Reid and the greatest, Sean Payton, they all have series that you're not going to be in love with. So I thought Reich was hot and cold with the play calling, clock management at the end of the game. That's a different story. But the real only negative I saw offensively was the turnovers, especially because we forced that first turnover on the Green Bay offense, and then Mo Ali Cox gives it right back to them. When we pick up a big first down, like he already got the first down, and he gives it right back to them to put Rodgers back on the field, and then boom, we're down 7-zip. Yeah, it was exactly like the Baltimore game. I mean, we literally did the exact same thing, although in the Baltimore game we got completely screwed by a call. But, I mean, yeah, you, you just can't do that, man. It, when we get the ball, we need to possess it. We need to understand that, that possession is what we want. We need to keep it and, and go down the field and do something with it. It's very frustrating when you're playing an Aaron Rodgers-led team to come out with two turnovers and no points. And really, just to be fair, four turnovers and six points. If you would have told me at the beginning of the game we would have four turnovers off this team and only score six points, I would have said there ain't no way in hell this game was close. <laughs> but oh, no that's, chance. That's the NFL, man. That's that. I mean, it's just it's crazy. And as far as negatives go with the offense, the only real negatives I have is the offensive line. As far oh, as my God. you know, just holding How could penalties, I but specifically the right side, Glowinski. First, it was LaRaven Clark, then it was Chaz Green, then it was back to LaRaven Clark, then it was Chaz Green. I mean, they couldn't decide which pile, you know, which, which turd they wanted to put out there. I'll tell you what, man, the right tackle position, I actually thought they played worse in this game than they did in the Cleveland game when they were playing for Costanzo. They uh, were horrendous. And that should have been harder because you're playing on the left side and you're going up against Miles right. Garrett. That should have been a thousand times harder than this, but you're right. I don't know how I. I'm just thinking turnover. I completely forgot about how piss poor the right side of that offensive line was today. And it's crazy because Braden Smith, and we've talked about it, he is, and us included, we don't talk about him all the time. We talk offensive line. It's always Costanzo, Nelson, Kelly. Even we forget about Braden Smith. But Braden Smith is one of the most underrated players on this roster. Hasn't given up a sack all year. You don't hear his number called a lot on penalties. He's just a really solid lunch pail guy. Shows up every day does his job he doesn't get a ton of praise but today was like the rude awakening like holy crap we better start talking about this guy because we saw what this offensive line looks like when he's not out there and it was not pretty and I don't want to see it again I hope he's out there next week and one of the best things is if he's out there next week even if you have a cast on your thumb at least you can't hold I wish every offensive lineman had a cast on their thumb today because then they wouldn't have been able to hold jerseys all day because that's all I saw was hold 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 the whistle was blowing left and right we couldn't get a playoff in the last two minutes of the game because everything was a freaking hold yeah, I mean, listen. You made it. We we always made a point over the summer when we when we broke down the roster, and you made a great point. There's not a bigger drop off from Anthony Costanzo to our backup tackle. Well, I think we got a contender. I think <laughs> there might be just as big of a drop off between Braden Smith. Does it count and the though? Does it count? Back. I don't even know if you could count I mean, it because it's the same drop. It's the same backup. 
It's I mean, basically it, it all boils down to this. Well, Raven Clark sucks, and Chaz Green is not that much better. I mean, Chaz Green, dude, I watched him. He he was getting mauled. He was get like Raven is more of a guy that's just like his. He's got long arms. If he can get his arms on you, he's okay. But he's got he doesn't have great feet. Like Chaz Green, legit, like three or four times. I just saw the them bull rush him into Philip Rivers. Yeah. <laughs> like he could, like he just uh, basically got run over. Like he, like he was my size. Yeah. Like you know he when Clark came out of the game, we ran that sweep. Right behind Clark, and he got pushed into. I guess that was Taylor at the time, or whoever it was. Yeah. It was probably yeah. Hines because we were running wide. And I was like, "Holy crap! Why are we running behind Little Raven?" Our worst one. Yeah, it's it. You're right, and, and listen, I've I've we've we've bitched nonstop. I bitched even more than Luke has about the backup tackle, and I would have taken a tackle instead of Taylor, and we beat that drum to death. And Luke is right. Chris Ballard's not going. We'll probably have not just one, but two new tackles on the roster next year. Probably a draft pick and maybe even a vet. I, I don't think this is going to be an issue going forward as far as next year. But damn, am I not concerned if one of those two guys goes down the next, what, how many games we got us? Six and playoffs, hopefully. Well, bro, you know what I was, dude, you know what I was thinking about in this game? I was thinking about, holy shit. God forbid Anthony Costanza were to go down in this game. You already oh don't have God. Braden Smith. Could you imagine having Clark no. and no. Green playing at the same time with Philip Rivers already hobbling around? It would have been a nightmare. That would have been worst that case was scenario. That's the kind of crap I was talking about at the, at, at, during the season preview, man. I know. Well, because stuff, and this is not a shot. This is absolutely not a shot at Danny Pinter. I like Pinter a lot. I think he has upside. I think he's going to be a quality backup for the interior offensive line positions. Kelly went down for one play, and I was like, oh, my God, here we go. Here we go. This is not the worst position to get injured on the offensive line, but we're already down Braden Smith. You can't lose two out of the main four. The only position you could lose and you could deal with it and be okay with it would be Glowinski. But you right. lose your center on top of already losing your right tackle. I was scared. I was. Yeah, I mean, we were slowly morphing into 2012. If we would have lost. Well, you know what the funny the thing is, Jason? Who drafted LaRaven Clark? <laughs> the God. Yeah. And now I will. Uh, hey, it's Ballard's fault. He brought him back, he re signed him. He had an right. entire offseason to find a backup tackle. And he was cool with LaRaven Clark. He saw LaRaven Clark in 2017 in training camp, in 2018 in training camp, in 2019 in training camp, and he still brought him back. He re-signed him. He didn't just bring him back. He re-signed him this offseason. He went through free agency. He went through the draft, and he didn't bring anybody else in to, I guess he brought in Chaz Green, but he didn't really bring anybody in to be a backup. He didn't draft a tackle. Danny Pinter was the only offensive lineman he drafted this year, so he never addressed that spot. That's something I don't think we're going to have to worry about next year. I know I have faith in Chris Ballard that he will address that. But the funny thing is, Grigson and Pagano always talked about position flexibility on the offensive line. Position flex, (laughs) position flex, position flex. They always talked about position flex, and they loved offensive line position flex. Like, oh, this guy could play center, he could play guard, he could play tackle. But when Grigson picked him, 
they had position flex, but they were equally awful at every position. So you had a really bad center. That was also a really bad guard. That was also the worst tackle you've ever seen in your life. And LaRaven Clark's the same thing because he could play guard. He could play left tackle. He could play right tackle. And he's awful at all of them. So he's just Ryan Gregson, Chuck Pagano, position flexibility. Equally bad across the board. <laughs> True words have not been spoken, my friend. <laughs> oh, dear God. Let's just pray to God that Braden Smith is back next week for the Tennessee Titans. He should be. He should be. Let's hope there were no injury. You know, I, I'm sure our injury report by will we'll start off like three names, and by the end of the week we'll have 14 names on it. But That's always how it we'll, goes. We'll yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll be healthy. But I mean, yeah. how about the deep, Luke? How about the defense bouncing back in the second half of this game, man? I think that's a. I mean, we, we haven't spoke too much about no. them. We should get in the D a little bit. I thought yep. I thought they were outstanding in the second half. I thought that was the difference. They they really didn't give up anything. And man, outstanding adjustments again by our guy Falouse. And uh, defense came out flying around and got off the field. It, it changed the game. Yep. And we talked about it off air. He didn't even make too many adjustments. It was really just getting the players to play harder, to fly to the ball, to make plays. And that's what they did in the second half, which is why I tweeted out a picture of Bugs Bunny with the secret stuff from the Space Jam movie. Of course, everybody knows Bugs Bunny, Michael Jordan, Space Jam, the secret stuff. Nothing changed, and it was just regular plain old water. But I feel like Flus gave the team the secret stuff at halftime. They came out. They were flying around. They were a different defense. We got multiple three and outs. We forced the turnover on special teams. And then Julian Blackman in overtime, hell of a play by one hell of a young player who should be, in my opinion, at least in the conversation for defensive rookie of the year because he's been just that good for the Colts, forcing that fumble in overtime, leading to the Colts' game-winning field goal. But you look at this defense, even in the first half, Jason, honestly, even in the first half, they weren't as bad as a team that was on pace to give up 56 points. They really weren't because they forced two turnovers against an Aaron Rodgers-led offense. Rocky Asin had the pick, and then we also had that bad snap fumble recovery by Darius Leonard. Then they scored two touchdowns off short fields, you had a short field Philip Rivers interception. You had a short field Moali Cox fumble. Then you had a third short field touchdown on the Blankenship missed 50-yard field goal. So they scored 21 points off three short fields. And the one turnover, I think the Rivers interception, was the first play. So this is kind of like the Baltimore game where you had DeForest Buckner force the fumble and then Rivers on the first play throw the pick to Marcus Peters. The defense only had one playoff. So the defense is doing their thing. Now they come off the field. They have to go right back on the field, and Lamar Jackson goes down the field, scores a touchdown. In this game, it was a little bit different because the defense gave up a touchdown, so they didn't have a great drive. They got scored on, but then they had to come out one play later after the tip ball interception. And it's hard to put too much on the defense in a situation like that because now you're basically asking the defense to play back-to-back drives and they don't get a chance to catch their breath. So they're right back out on the field. Boom, they're right back out on the field. And the only real issue I had, like, of course, they still gave up 21 points. They should still be held accountable. When you're a top defense, you need to be able to make stops in short field. So I totally agree with all that. I'm just saying when you look at the box score and you see, wow, they scored 28 points in the first half. They're on pace 
for 56. I never felt like that. I always felt like the defense was playing better than the amount of touchdowns they gave up. And I really honestly thought at halftime that they were going to come out in the second half and they were going to play a much better second half. I didn't think it would be three points because Aaron Rodgers is just too good, but I definitely felt like 28 should not have happened. And then Aaron Rodgers did Aaron Rodgers things on that final drive. He threw up a, well, I mean, honestly, one of the greatest passes I've ever seen to the end zone, the Rocky Asin, he had kind of hooked the receiver a little bit. They threw the flag, and then all of a sudden you have a spot foul, five-yard line, and they put up another touchdown. And that was really the most angry I was at the defense because you got beat. So Rock got beat. He was in man-to-man coverage. There was nobody over the top, and right. then it leads to a cheap seven points. The offense just went down the field. That pissed me off. Yeah, that was but- really the only thing that really, really pissed me off with the defense, honestly, all year. Because I feel like all year when the defense isn't playing well, it's usually the offense's fault or special teams' fault or somebody else's fault. It's usually not the defense's fault. Besides that two-minute drill, they let Rodgers go down and have the 50-yard pass interference. Yeah, I mean, listen, the defense definitely had their issues in the first half. I thought a lot of it was execution-oriented, guys not being where they were supposed to be. I thought on the long DPI that Rock got, you can argue whether – you know, I I thought it was – he could have gone either way. I get the call. I understand it. We'll get into that more later. But my bigger question was where was – I mean, where were our safeties? Like, there's no reason for – in that point of the game, at the end of the half – why isn't there somebody back there with him? Somebody missed an assignment because it was, I mean, to put a guy one-on-one in that situation when you know Aaron Rodgers, if he sees that and he's going to see it, is going to attack that right away, you're setting yourself up for failure. So I thought, I don't know if that was a call by Flus, if that was a player that made a mistake. I don't know what happened there, but you you, you cannot leave in that situation Rodgers out with an outside receiver on rock one-on-one with no safety help in that position at that end, at the end of the game. I, I'm with you. That was frustrating. Half. I was definitely, I was definitely fired up at the end of the half, um, you know, because of what happened. But I, I just think the, the Packers game plan to me coming out was, was very simple. They went right at 26. They attacked rock. They kept attacking rock. Then they attacked Rock, and he made a great play and got a pick. But they pretty much, you know, they pretty much stayed with that plan, targeting him for most of the game. I thought Rhodes was pretty good, Moore was good, but they really went after Rock. He had a rough game. But at the end of the day, man, the defense picked him up in the second half. Other than that last drive, which, by the way, I, I mean, I, I don't want to go into the refs yet, but I will just give you a taste <laughs> on that long play down the middle. One of our defensive linemen. Alquadine Muhammad held in the end zone, no call, should have been called, would have been a safety, the game would have been over. But yeah. I'll mention. Well, you know what? Maybe one. this officiating crew just didn't like throwing flags today. Uh, yeah. Oh, wait, yeah, no. No, wait, that couldn't be it <laughs> because they threw a lot for us. No, we'll get into that. But I'm not saying that defense played well in the first half. That's not what I'm saying by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying I I didn't think they played as bad as the box score showed or at least the scoreboard showed going into the half. When I look up and I see 28 points, I didn't see a defense that played 
minus 20 points bad because they forced two turnovers against a team who came into the game only giving up the ball five times all season. They forced two turnovers, and they had short fields to work with, three out of their whatever possessions, and it was kind of an uphill battle for the defense. And they justified that in the second half because they didn't make too many adjustments. They came out. They played a lot better, of course, but they were playing with more rest and they were playing with longer fields and everything got justified because they only gave up three points in the second half. Yeah, and I thought they tackled better too. I thought, mm-hmm. and I think that had a lot, a lot to do with just being rested. Being rested, but yeah, I thought they insane. played. Yeah, they played faster in the second half. They tackled better. I just thought I, the thing is, Flus makes adjustments at halftime, but I don't think it's what people necessarily think. I don't think he goes in there and makes crazy adjustments. I think he tweaks a few things, talks to guys about stuff he's seeing on the on the film, and you know maybe technique things. But really, I think it's just about playing his defense and being in the right spot. And if you go back over the last two games, okay, you look at Tennessee. They got Derrick Henry. They got A.J. Brown. They got Ryan Tannehill, who's playing well. Jonu Smith, who's playing well. Then you come into this game, you got Aaron Rodgers. You got Devontae Adams. You got Alan Lazard. You got Aaron Jones. You got, you know, Mercedes Lewis. You got all these guys, right? Mm-hmm. Three points in the last two second halves. and Plus overtime. overtime. 65 minutes. And they won points. the coin toss. And they won the coin toss. Yep. Julian Blackman, man. I mean, OT Julian Blackman. And you know what didn't get enough credit? Because everybody's going crazy over Blackman's strip. What didn't get enough credit was the DeForest Buckner's recovery. What a great recovery that was by DeForest Buckner. How many times have we seen linemen just smack the ball, slap at the ball, lay on top of the ball, yeah. kick the ball? He went down with two hands. And he really... Like, he caught the fumble. Like, he went down, and he snagged that fumble on the ground. He secured it with two hands like he was a receiver catching a slant route. He went down with his hands like an athlete, not just some lumbering 300-pound lineman that's just going to kind of fall on the ball and hope it gets stuck in his gut. Not that, you know, he's in incredible shape for a defensive tackle, but you know what I'm saying. Like so how many times have we seen linemen just kind of lay on top of the ball. He went down there like he was a freaking receiver and he was trying to catch the ball. And that's essentially what he did. And you saw him open his hand. He made the diamond like he was catching a slant route. Yeah. And once the big fellow gets the, gets his paws on that, you ain't getting it away from him. So that was, yeah, you're right, man. That's a great job by him to secure the ball. That's the most important thing. It's not picking up and scoring. The most important thing when you Possession. see a ball on the ground is securing it for the for the all for your team. And that's mm-hmm. what he did. And that led to the win, man. The, all these these little things led lead to something big, and something big was winning this football game. Yep. And then on special teams, we force a turnover, we force a fumble on a kickoff. The coverage was great all day. Sanchez with that huge punt at the end of regulation, and yeah, they end up getting into field goal range, but let's say there's a touchback there, they probably go down and score a touchdown because that's 15 less yards to work with. They come within 15 yards of a touchdown. You do the math, they probably go down and score a touchdown if they're not backed up in their own territory. And then, of course, Rodrigo Blankenship with the walk-off game-winning field goal, the rookie bouncing back after missing a 50-yarder earlier in the game, fighting that adversity, making the game-winner. The Colts, for the second week in a row, really won the battle on special teams. And when you talk about an overtime game, a 31-31 game, 
at the end of regulation, special teams is that much more important, and they were that much more important today leading to the Colts' victory. A hundred percent, man. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I really love this special teams group. I mean, first of all, we've got what I think is the best punter in the league. The guy almost, I mean, the, the kickoff to the goal line, and, and I mean, that was so close to being a great play. Penned him inside the tent. I mean, like, the coverage is so good. The, when, and we didn't have our best return guy. Uh, so we were And Jason, him, I don't we, think we had the coach. I don't think, Bub, uh, who's the... No, uh, we didn't have... No, we didn't have we had we had Frankie Ross. Bubba yep. had uh, COVID. He's in COVID. So yeah, great point. Frankie Ross did a great job today filling in, man. And listen, you know, Blankenship mentally tough. Comes back, does does his thing, doesn't miss anything. Everything right down the middle. Really, everything he kicked today was right down the middle. Even yep. the one he missed, it just hit the it, it just hit the crossbar. But you know, just everything from protection to coverage, protecting the ball, just an outstanding job. I thought. That was the biggest difference in the game, man. For, you know, forcing fumbles. To me, the, our, our, our special teams outplayed them so much more than any of the other two phases outplayed. They, they were kind of even, I would say, in this game. But our special teams was definitely superior to theirs. And I thought that was the difference in the game. And you need, you know, one of those – sometimes you need one, the, uh, the smaller tier of the three tiers of your team to come up and make plays. And I thought they did that today, and they've done it all year. Yep, and last year, you go back to 2019, our special oh. teams were awful. Our kicking game was awful. Our quarterback wasn't able to make the quick reads, get the ball out of his hands quick. And all those things, our defensive tackles last year, were subpar. Maybe the weakest link on our defense. And then today, or this year, I should say, we have the best defensive tackle tandem in the NFL. There was a third down, and we forgot to talk about this, when we were going over the defense, there was a third down where Stewart had great pressure on Rodgers and he would have had a running back open in the flat and he just has to overthrow him because of the pressure from Grover up the middle. And I actually, I think that was fourth down. Wasn't that fourth down? Uh, yeah, it might have been. Yeah, yeah, we get off the field. We get off the field. Turnover on downs. We get off the field, give the ball back to Phillip Rivers. So the defense with the defensive tackles, Night and day from last year, even though Grover was here and he was good last year, now he's playing next to an elite three-tech in DeForest Buckner. The kicking game, night and day, from all the extra points we missed last year and the field goals we missed and the chip shots. You miss that kick in overtime, you give it back to Rodgers, he only needs a field goal to win the game and he has eight minutes left, whatever it was, clock's obviously not an issue. The game's over. You have to make that field goal and you're a rookie Nails it, no issues. So, yeah, that was one of the biggest differences from 2019 to 20. Not just the kicking game, just overall special teams. Because we had one of the worst units last year, and we have one of the best units this year. Forcing the turnover, great coverage, great punt, and then, of course, the game-winning field goal. Now, at the end of regulation, Colts have the ball. We're around midfield. There's about 2 minutes and 30 seconds left. We're just trying to run out the clock, not necessarily to the point where he never touches the ball again and we never get the ball back into Aaron Rodgers' hands, but at least to a point where you punt it back to him with 20 seconds left or you kick a field goal to go up six and you kick it off with 20 seconds left. And you really want them to burn all their timeouts and hold, 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 hold. The clock keeps stopping on all these holds and then – 
what bothered me a lot was Frank Reich throwing twice. Why are you throwing the ball twice to stop the clock? Because when the Packers ended up getting the ball back, they still had a timeout. And when Rodgers throws that bomb from in the end zone, of course, there was two holds on that play. They don't call either one. And he hits his receiver at the 50-yard line. They have a timeout. You would have had to burn 25 seconds to get the offensive lineman to run from the goal line to the 50-yard line yep. and then get into position and then spike the ball. But they still had a timeout because Reich was throwing the ball. And it was like third in a million. I get maybe you could get in the field goal range and kick a field goal, but it was third in a million. And you're throwing the football and you just put yourself in a position where now you're going to punt them the ball back where they still have a timeout plus Aaron Rodgers, plus over a minute o'clock. But there's a lot to unpack here because you have the officials, you have all these holds, you have Rodgers getting the ball back, you have multiple holds in the because most of the holds they called on the Colts were good calls. But then Rodgers now is in his own end zone, and a hold in the end zone is the safety, and there's multiple holds, and they don't blow the whistle. So why are you calling it one way for one team and you're not? being consistent calling it for the other team yeah this is my and luke i'm just like you man i i just want an evenly called game i'm not a big bitch about the refs guy but i'm gonna bitch because what i saw today was not an evenly called game now i'm not gonna argue with some like most of the calls they had on us were legit calls and i'm not gonna argue with them my issue was there was uh, about – I think there was two plays on T.Y. Hilton where he was clearly interfered with, none called. There was about – and I shit you not – probably about seven to ten missed holding calls on their offensive line. And people were like, man, they're really dominating our D-line. Our D-line's not getting any pressure. Well, they're getting held. And they got held on the two biggest plays they had. They got held on the one we just talked about where he just threw uh, – he threw it up in the middle of the field at the end of the game in the end zone. It should have been the safety. The game should have been over. No call. My issue is always with refs. It's not with them calling penalties or not calling penalties. It's the evenness of the penalty calling. Because you're not going to tell me that we held 15 times and they held once. That's ridiculous. And I, I just and there were so many plays where I was screaming at the television, their tackle is holding. Muhammad must have got held five times. I mean, it was ridiculous, and it's un, I mean, it's unacceptable. The league needs to do better. They need to do better. And it's, I'm not saying this as a Colts fan. I'm saying this as a fan of the game. This officiating is getting out of hand. We saw it in Baltimore. We saw where, you know, our guy Julian Blackman, personal foul, and then jo Jack Doyle gets knocked out for two games. Same type of play, helmet to helmet, no penalty. Then you see the catch that never, I mean, was not a, clearly not a catch, called a catch. It's never been called a catch. I mean, it's yep. almost like they're creating rules on the run, and it just, I'm so fed up with it. I just want an evenly called game, and that's, that's my rant. That's all I want. I, I just, for every game, every team, an evenly called game, 60-40, that's fine too. But when it's like 80-20 or when there's 10 or 15 holding calls on one team and one other, and then one on the other team, and that other team's quarterback just happens to be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, I smell something fishy. Yep. That's 100% what it is. <laughs> that is 100% what it is. 
The first step is to get games called the same way. To call the game the same way for the Colts offensive line and the Colts offense, and then the same way for the Packers offensive line and the Packers offense. The next step is to get every game the same. After our 425 America's Game of the Week game, when I watch Sunday Night Football, I should see that game called the same way as our game. And then tomorrow night, on Monday night, it should be called the same way. And then the three games on Thanksgiving should be called the same way. So it would be nice if we get to a point where every NFL game is consistent and every game is being called the same way. Now, we're a long ways away from that because I just want this crew to call it the same way for both teams and we're not there yet and it's frustrating especially when we seem to be the small market Indianapolis team coming out on the bad end of 60 40 or 70 30 or 80 20 or 90 10 or 100 0 or 99 (laughs) 1 officiating every single week it's frustrating and it should be and we should be pissed off and I don't want to be that guy that bitches about the officials. And I really don't want to be that guy after losses. So when we win, it's a little bit different because we could sit here and we could be like, well, at the end of the day, we won anyway. So it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter that the refs were on the other side, blah, 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 blah. We won the game, period, point blank. So you can't even say that we are making excuses because at the end of the day, we won the game, period. And that's all that matters. So I like complaining about refs after a win it makes me feel less like i'm using it as an excuse or the reason why we lost the game because we still won the game so it's like all right i'm going to talk about the win for an hour and then after that i'm going to say how the refs tried to take it from us and then with the rock thing i actually thought it was a good call i thought rock hooked him my real issue with that is why is that a 50-yard spot foul? Because if the receiver, like let's say the roles were reversed. Like I think the ref threw that flag because the receiver clearly beat Rock. And I thought that Rock's hook, because there was definitely hand fighting both ways, but I thought Rock's hook prevented the ball from being caught. And that's the best type of flag. A play where you have a hold 30 yards away or a block in the back on a kickoff 30 yards away from the returner and it has nothing to do with the play just eat the flag because it doesn't it's not affecting the play so you shouldn't derail the play but rock he hooked his arm and if he doesn't it's 100% in my opinion a catch and a touchdown so that's a good flag what I don't like is two things. You have T.Y. getting pushed in the back of the end zone on third and goal. So you could make a huge game-changing call for them with a 50-yard spot foul, but you can't give the Colts first and goal from the two-yard line when T.Y. is getting pushed in the back of the end zone. So you have two 50-50 calls, and both go in the Packers' way. That turns into a 100-0 because the Packers got – two big calls they got the one call and then they got the other no call and both went in the Packers favor and both went against the Colts but with the rock play I agreed with the call it sucks that we happen to be on the wrong end of that 50-50 call but I actually thought it was a good call if I was the ref I probably would have thrown it because he got beat the real issue there for me is the rule why is that a spot foul if the receiver and the roles are reversed, and Rock has position, and the receiver grabs his jersey or punches him in the freaking face, that's a 10-yard penalty for the offense. If it's a spot foul where the offense 
gets 50 yards and they get the ball on the five-yard line, then to be consistent, shouldn't an offensive pass interference be an automatic spot for a turnover going the other way? Because that's what you're breaking up, right? We're rewarding the offense for 50 yards. We should reward offensive pass interference. We should reward the defense with possession to be consistent because the rules are so lopsided and this isn't a Colts Packers thing. This is just an NFL rules being wrong thing where the defense gets punished a hundred times more and the offense gets rewarded for equal penalties. And that's wrong. That's just backwards. Yeah. Well, my, going back to the rock play, I think we disagree a little bit on this because I, I just think Scandling, I thought he used his arm to get a little separation, which gave, which made Rock have to to make up ground, and then I thought he hooked him. Okay, it's a to me, it's a fifty fifty. I probably wouldn't throw the flag, but I understand it. That I did, so I wasn't like I wasn't super mad, raging out on Twitter about it. You know, I, I, I there was did, no safety I, over the top. Yeah, I was also very mad about that. It, it just that made less sense to me. But I mean, I wasn't that mad about it. It, it was one of those things. Those type of calls, 50-50, sometimes they go your way. Well, usually they it's 90-10 with us, but whatever. <laughs> My bigger issue was T.Y. and just uh, the way our receivers are mugged, held. I mean, T.Y. gets mugged every game, and nothing is called. No, no defensive pass interference, no illegal contact, no anything. And I'm getting tired of it. It's just very frustrating. Every defense that plays us does the same thing. They play extremely physical with our receivers, which, go ahead, we've got physical receivers too. But my issue is they're not calling them for holding. They're not calling them for illegal contact. They're not calling them for pass interference, and they should be. That's where my issue lies. It goes back to my issue with it not being called evenly, and that is something that has to change in the NFL, not just Colt games but across the board. You watch any game, and almost every game, you could say, wow, one side seems to be getting the majority of the calls, and it doesn't make any sense. And it's, you know, it's it, you, there's a lot of conspiracies out there. I'm not going to get any of that craziness. But all I'll say is, as a fan, it's very frustrating, and, you, and I do notice it. It's not just the Colts. I notice it in other games, oh, too. Yeah. Uh, Well, a great example was the Tampa Bay Giants game a couple weeks ago. Tampa Bay, and also, Jason, there's something about Tampa Bay and the Green Bay Packers and the quarterbacks being first ballot Mm -hmm. Hall of Famers, being all-time, a little something there. But the Tampa Bay Bucks got every single call against the New York Giants. And I'm not a Giant fan. I actually hate the Giants because of a regional thing, and I have a lot of friends that are Giant fans, so it's just a little competitive thing. I usually root against the Giants, usually hate the Giants. But I'm watching this game. I don't have money on the game. I don't have real rooting interest in the game. I guess I'll root against Tom Brady because he's Tom Brady. I'm a Colts fan. It's just natural to root against Tom Brady. But I'm watching the game, and I'm like, holy crap, as an unbiased, neutral fan of this NFC NFC matchup where I really don't have a dog in the fight. Every call is going against the Giants. The Bucks are getting every single call. And it was it kind of reminded me of today's game with the Packers, except we won. Yeah, I mean it's it, it, you really can watch almost any game. I just want consistency. I I don't know if there's some kind of of ref training they can put them through. I I, I mean honestly, oh, I don't yeah. know what the answer is. 
you know they're not full-time employees, right? The NBA right. Yeah, the NBA refs are full-time year-round employees, salaried for the year. MLB umpires, year-round salaried for the year. The NFL officials are part-time seasonal employees. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make oh, any they sense. Say, they're saving money. That's all that is. Well, how much could they that's possibly be saving? I like, mean, I know that's much. why they're doing it. They're obviously doing it to save money. But how much money yeah. could they really be saving? That says a lot more about the NFL than anything else I could say, what you just said. Yeah. That's true. How much money could they be saving? That's that's my point. Like, that's how much they yeah, care about Yeah, they just nickel money. and dime everything. And, Jason, last thing, let's get into our For the Culture player of the game. And this is a tough one because this is one, like, where Pagano used to give everybody the game ball. This is one of those games where, really, if you're going to do game balls, everybody does. I'm not a participation trophy guy, but this is kind of one of those games where everybody deserves a game ball. But that's because we won the game, and every player on this team honestly contributed to it. So it's a tough one, but we will still make our picks for the For the Culture player of the game. Yeah, and, and this this is tough, man, because I'm honestly considering it, giving it to a coach for the first time because Flus the last two weeks, man, has been lights out with his adjustments. But I'm going to stay with a player, and I picked him. I think I picked him last week. I, I got to pick him again, man. Phil, Philly Phil was on his shit today, man. He played his ass off, stood in there, took a beating, Went toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers. I thought he was outstanding. Just a great job by him. Great leadership, great toughness, great competitiveness. To me, this is the best game he's played. And he, I mean, everything was was just solid across the board. You know, his progressions, his his reading, getting us in the right play, uh, his ball placement. Just everything. Uh, he was he was outstanding today. I know it's a cop out answer because he's the quarterback, but I got to give the man credit. He's ta- he's taken a lot of crap, a lot of heat from from fan bases and our fans and the media and a lot of other people. But I'm riding with him. I-, I I like what I've seen. I think we're headed in the right direction, and I think today was another step on that on that journey. So 17's my guy, man. I got to give it to him. I thought he played his ass off today. Big win for him. It's a great selection, Jason. I was going to go. If I went first, I would have went with Phillip Rivers. You know who I think I'm going to go with? And this is going to shock some people. I think I'm going to go with Anthony Costanzo because he didn't have a holding penalty. It was refreshing not to hear 74 on one of the holds. Plus, I feel like everybody's disrespecting Anthony Costanzo. He's putting together another really solid year for the Colts, and he held his ground. We obviously put a lot of emphasis on the right side to help out over there today. Quinn Nelson had a couple holding penalties, and Anthony Costanzo was just so solid. So I think I just want to say his name because we don't say it enough, and I think this is guilt because we don't give enough credit to Braden Smith and then to see what the right side of the offensive line looks like today without Braden Smith. I think I'm going to give my For the Culture Player of the Game to Anthony Costanzo just to say thank you for being there and thank you for being as solid as you are because what an underrated uh, for such an important position, the left tackle position. He's been superb, and we just never give it to offensive linemen. So I think I'm going to give it to Anthony Costanzo. Why not? And also, you know, Luke, that's actually not a that's not a bad pick, my man. You know why? 
he had to block their best their best pass rusher all game, and he and he did a great job. Uh, Zadarius Smith is their yep. best. I mean, he makes all their plays, and he did an outstanding job blocking him. So it's not a bad pick. And it, and when you don't hear an offensive lineman's name mentioned, it's usually because he's doing a hell of a job. So Anthony Costanzo is really maybe Ryan Kelly, but but Anthony Costanzo for sure played his ass off today. That that is one thing we know for sure. He got no penalties, no stupid plays. And he did a great job blocking the Packers' most impactful defensive player, in my opinion, on their on, in their front seven. So I think it's a great pick, an underrated pick. I think people will be shocked, but once they hear the explanation, I think it's a hell of a pick, man. So kudos to you for for pulling that out because I would have never thought of it. Well, thank you, Jason Anthony Costanzo, my for the culture player of the game, Philip Rivers. You're for the culture player of the game, and Philip Rivers was fantastic today and the only time we really heard Zadarius Smith's name in this game was when Philip Rivers tried to block him on that end around and that'll be the final thing we talk about I don't want to end this on a negative note but what is Frank Reich doing a couple things about Frank Reich that and the clock management what is Frank Reich doing putting his quarterback in a position and of course Rivers doesn't have to throw this block but you know Rivers you know is going to because he's just wired exactly. like that. It's like it's like Andrew Luck. Well, Andrew Luck didn't have to go up and high point the ball and then lower his shoulder and take the hit from the player on the Dolphins. Yeah, but if you put Luck in a position to be an athlete and make a play, he's going to make the play. If you put Rivers in a position, because that's just the way these guys are wired. So I thought that was dumb. I thought that was really, really dumb. And you already have Rivers moving around a little gingerly because he took that shot to the ribs. And now you're going to have him in a position to throw a block. To me, it didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense in my head. And it made me think of that game against the Dolphins in 2018 when he had Andrew Luck high pointing a ball with, you know, catching a ball out on the wing like he was throwing him a screen pass from Jacoby coming off a torn labrum surgery where now he's taking a hit full contact on the sideline. It's just not smart. And that's how you get guys hurt. That's how you get guys, not just anybody, but your quarterback hurt and your quarterback killed. Yeah. I mean, listen, I want to throw any plays that involve, you know, our quarterback even being involved in blocking or around blocking, just throw them out. I don't know what he was thinking, you know Rivers was, you know, he was shaken up after that hit he took. That was a big-time hit he took. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I, Frank, Frank, the thing that I, I really believe this about Frank, he wants to be the smartest guy in the room instead of just being the guy that's consistent. He wants to prove how smart he is. That's what I've learned in the three years. That because because if you notice, Luke, there's a lot of times we're doing something and we're just humming on offense, yep. and the personnel's in there, and we're doing great, and all of a sudden he'll just do something completely out of the blue that that just bombs <laughs> and sets our offense back like it's five true. or six yards, or we get a penalty, or we line up wrong, or we do, and it's like, listen, just do what works. Remember our keys to the game. Let's go through our keys to the game for our offense. No turnovers. Well, we, we turn the ball over. Stay with a hot hand at running back. Well, he actually did that. I'll give him that. But stay with what works, Frank. A reverse with Phillip Rivers blocking. That has no place in this offense, no. man. Come and on. we're not, Jason, we're not, ta- like, if he did that last year with Jacoby, 
it's like, all right, a young or, you know, mid-20s, big, strong quarterback, a 39-year-old man? Rivers is going to be 30. You might as well get out there, Frank, and block. Are you kidding me? And you know, and a 39-year-old quarterback? And he's, and he's coming off a big-time rib shot? I mean, really? I mean, that to me, there were two really dumb, 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 dumb play calls in this game. That one is number one because if you lose Phillip Rivers, I'm sorry, our season's it's over. We might make the playoffs, but we have no chance of doing anything in it. The second dumb play was when he ran it and left Rodgers with it, or when he threw it when it was third and 100 million, mm-hmm. and we threw it instead well, of running it. Dude, the other throw might have been, been worse. The throw out to the, to the sideline, to the numbers, that throw might have yeah. been worse. If you ran it both times and then punted, you would have punted it back to them with no timeouts, about 40 seconds, and if we pinned them inside the five like we did, the game would have been over. There would have been no overtime. That, I mean, that's when I was watching, I was saying the same. Just run it three times. Every, even with the, the holding penalties, honestly, it was, I was like, whatever. Keep running it. Just until they ha- make them use their timeouts, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Because if you pin Aaron, and we knew, I knew that Sanchez was going to pin them deep. So I knew he was going to have to fight his way out. And the only way to do that is to throw it over the middle, and that's going to eat up time. And when you don't have any timeouts, it makes it a lot more difficult. So you got to clock yep. it, you got to do this, and you got to do that. You run out of time a lot faster. But we left the timeout there. You're right. We should have run there. I mean, Frank does some real mind-numbingly dumb shit sometimes, and I don't have any ex- explanation for it. I love yep. the guy. I think he's got the makings of a good coach, but I still think he's got some things to learn. The most important being never put your quarterback in harm's way. I like Reich. I think he's he's got the potential to be a great coach, but there are things about him that he seems very stubborn about that need to change. The one thing I love about Coach Fluce is he is adaptable. He if something's not working, he will change it or he will he will fix it so, you know, they can run what they want to run. Reich seems more stubborn to me and that could be a problem in the future. We've seen it bite us in the ass a couple times in the you know, in the first few years with him. So that's something to watch going forward. But as far as today, just a huge win. I'm glad to get it. And man, that game next week, brother, Tennessee Holy. coming to our house. We got to get it. We got to have it. Yep. Especially with that Jaguar week one loss, it makes every division game that much bigger because the next tiebreaker after a split, let's just say for argument's sake, we split with Tennessee. The next tiebreaker, if we finish with the same record, is AFC South record. They don't have any other losses besides ours. So if we split, then we would have two. They would just have the one. The one good thing is their next three AFC South games, all three left, are all on the road, So, including ours next week. Next week's huge. Next week is yeah. huge. I know I said the last time we played the Titans that that was the biggest game of the year. Here Where we go again, part two. Part two biggest game yeah. of the year. And listen, man, if we get this win, it's like basically having a game and a half on them. Yeah. I mean, because we'll be a game ahead. But the, but, but, but the head-to-head gives us a half. Exactly. You know what they I'm saying? Have, they have to be a game ahead of us to win the division. Right. Right. And they'd be so, running out of time because that would be our eighth win next week. So then exactly figure that. figure we beat the Texans twice and the Jag just sweeping the rest of the division. That puts us at 11. 
if we win next week and then sweep the rest of the division. Yeah, I mean, as, as much as I love this win today and, and I'm going to enjoy it tonight, tomorrow, next couple of days, but once we get into you know Tennessee, man, we got we got to be focused in. Hopefully we'll have everybody possible that we can possibly have ready for that game, get Braden Smith back, because it's going to be a test, man. Playing Derrick Henry is no joke, as the Ravens found out today. And uh, I think it's going to be a much – I think it'll be a much closer game, honestly, than it was the first time. So, Colts got to come ready to play, but I have no doubt they will. And they'll, put, they'll, they'll, leave it all, they'll leave it all out on the field. I have no doubt about that. I agree, man. I agree. So, we will be back on Thursday with the game preview. It'll be our second Titans game preview. So, we'll spice it up in some other way. That way, we're basically not repeating what we said two weeks ago when we played and not even two weeks ago it was even earlier than that right it was what 10 days ago so yep 10 days want, ago yeah we don't want to repeat that podcast so we will spice it up but that'll be a big one big game next week against the tennessee titans great win today jason great win 34 31 in overtime over the green bay packers sweeping the nfc north so 4 no lions Bears, Vikings, Packers sweeping the NFC North. Four wins from that division. And the AFC is so much better than the NFC, and I think this is just another thing that proves it. We go and we sweep our NFC schedule for the season. So I guess just quick final thoughts, Colts-Packers. Yeah, my main my main thought with this team and then and, and just generally in this game is the mental toughness of this team. I, lo- I love their mental toughness. They don't get down on themselves. You look at guys like Rock Yasin, he had a rough game. He just kept playing through it. He had an interception. He just kept playing. You know, Rod misses that field goal. We don't win this game without Rod. So, I mean, the, the mental toughness, I mean, Phillip Rivers, the interception that gets tipped in the air, he's taking a beating. Doesn't matter. He just keeps standing in there throwing dimes. The defense giving up all those points in the first half, for whatever reason, coming out, holding them to three in the second half and in overtime, giving us a chance to win this game. The mental toughness, and I take this from the coaches. I will give the coaches 100% credit because all this stuff trickles downhill. It starts at Ballard. It goes down to Reich, and, the, and then the coaches under him. This team is very mentally tough. There's not going to be any adversity that they're not going to be able to overcome or be prepared for in the future because they've been through it all. They were down 21 nothing to Cincinnati. They were down 28-14 to one of the best teams in the NFC and one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, if not the best. And they've come back and won both of those games. So no adversity is going to get to this team. Their mental toughness is as good as any team in this league, and I think that's going to help them going forward. And I've never been more proud of a team than I am of this team today. The way they came back showed that mental toughness, that intestinal fortitude. Great job by the coaching staff and a great job by all those guys on that football team. Yep, and when you boil it right down, that was the theme of this game, Jason. Mental toughness, battling adversity. We saw it for 60-plus minutes. And it's funny because in the pregame show, there was something about hitting Rodgers – getting after Rodgers for 60 minutes. Well, it turned out to be 60-plus. We go to overtime. Julian Blackman with the huge force fumble in overtime, recovered by DeForest Buckner, 
34-31 as the Colts improved to 7-3 and on the season. That's a nice record. 7-3, four games above 500. Phillip Rivers playing his best football of the year. Feeling really good about ourselves with part two next week with the Tennessee Titans. I can't wait for that game. I'm pumped. I'm jacked to get to it to get to the preview this week on Thursday. That's my man, Jason Spears. I'm your host, Luke Diamond. Enjoy this one, guys. This is what being a fan is all about. Moments like this, games like this, comebacks like this, wins like this, and seasons like this as we now improve to 7-3. and three. We'll be back on Thursday right here on the Fourth the Culture Podcast. <laughs>